disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute legal advice and does not cover all the applicable rules. It is for informational purposes and to generate thoughtful discussions about the current issues facing drone operators in the U.S. and elsewhere. For more information or questions, please contact TC via our Twitter handle at TC Drone Law or visit our website, www.thompsoncoburn.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thompson Coburn LLP's Three Lawyers in a Drone podcast coming to you from Washington, D.C. My name is Sean McGowan, and I'm a partner in the Federal Regulatory Practice Group and co-chair of the firm's UAS Practice Group. As always, joining me today are Associates Tyler Black and Mike Deutsch. Today, we're excited to welcome Andrew Elephant, the Director of Legal and Policy at Kitty Hawk, an enterprise drone software company in San Francisco. Andrew is a licensed attorney in California and is an experienced private pilot with instrument and multi-engine ratings, as well as a certificated remote pilot. Andrew, welcome, and thanks for being here today. Thanks a lot for having me, Sean. I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. This is Mike. Andrew, welcome and thanks again for being on the show. For those listeners who may be new to the drone world, can you give us some background on Kitty Hawk and on Kitty Hawk's relationship with the FAA? Kitty Hawk founded in 2015. Um, as you can tell by the, the name, Kitty Hawk references the location in North Carolina where the Wright brothers flew their first flights. So it's a significant name in aviation history. We are a company of technologists, aviation enthusiasts, and problem solvers. And to that end, we're an enterprise drone software company. We sell solutions to large companies operating drone fleets, and that includes mobile applications to help pilots in the field and also providing cloud and web applications that help customers manage their fleet. In one sentence, we're a connected platform to manage missions, navigate airspace, and maintain aircraft in in real time. And to answer your question a little bit more, we also work directly with the FAA on a number of projects. That includes Before You Fly, which we'll definitely get into, and also the FAA's Lance program as well. So we, uh, we work very closely with the FAA on an, a number of projects. That's interesting. And you mentioned Lance. Now, for those who may not know, Lance is an acronym, L-A-A-N-C, and it stands for the Low Altitude Authorization and Notification Capability. And Lance supports the integration of drone operations in the National Airspace System, commonly known as the NAS, by giving drone pilots access to controlled airspace and to uh, air traffic control visibility into uh, UAS operations. Andrew, can you tell us a little bit more about Kitty involvement with Lance? I think that's a great explanation to start off with. Lance, at its essence, is a way to give recreational and commercial pilots the authorization that they need to access controlled airspace in a much more automated process than it used to be. So to tell you a little bit of a story, um, before Lance uh, came out in 2017, the process to get authorization in controlled airspace was a little bit clunky. Um, You had to log on to the drone zone on the FAA. Uh, You had to fill out a decent amount of information on your mission, your location, what sort of things you'd be doing to make yourself safe. You would send that into the system, someone at the FAA would read it, and up to 90 days later, you would get a go or no-go decision on, uh, on your proposed authorization. The real exciting part about Lance is it takes that 90-day process and uh, takes it down to about 90 seconds. And as you can tell, 
you know, that is a huge, huge advantage for all sorts of drone operators, both recreational and commercial, because it enables them to have more consistency in their operation. And it allows increased visibility into the operations that folks are doing in the field. So we're actually one of a handful of companies that have a public-facing Lance product. The big news on on Lance for us was uh, this summer, we introduced the ability to enable recreational pilots as well as commercial pilots to go ahead and do Lance authorizations on our platform. So it's definitely a great compliance tool and, and a great operational tool. And so Lance is, is something that here at Kitty Hawk we're, uh, we're really excited to be a part of. That's pretty remarkable. Lance has uh, certainly been a, a game changer in the UAS world. Now, one other thing that you mentioned earlier was uh, before you fly, that's B, uh, number four, and then letters U, F, L, Y. Now, before you fly is an app developed by Kitty Hawk for recreational users to help show where they can and cannot fly, and it uses interactive maps. Can you tell us a bit more about Kiosk's involvement with Before You Fly? Yeah, absolutely. Before You Fly, as you said, is the FAA's authoritative mobile application for the recreational drone pilot community to understand uh, the airspace around them. So Before You Fly basically presents the user with an airspace tool uh, so that they can figure out whether, based on their location, it's safe for them to fly. And to give you a, a sense of scale, we've been working on Before You Fly for a while now. We launched it the end of July, and it's been really exciting to see the velocity on Before You Fly as uh, as we get it into the hands of, of more folks in the drone community. For example, since the end of July, in about seven weeks, we've powered over 700,000 airspace searches on Before You Fly. Uh, so that's over 700,000 times that a user has opened before you fly, focused on a location, and inquired as to whether a specific location was safe for them to fly. So those type of numbers are, are really encouraging for us when we are talking about getting that information into the hands of the right people, because at the end of the day, the, the goal with before you fly is to provide that awareness to everyone in the drone community because the more people that are more aware of uh, what they're doing in the national airspace, um, it really keeps everyone safer at the end of the day. Hi, Andrew. This is Tyler. Uh, I think you've been touching on a lot of the most revolutionary aspects of casual interaction that people have with um, with airspace when they're trying to operate their, their drones that have really come into being the last few years. And that's that's great to have that kind of progress, and it's exciting that there's more to come. It sounds like you're interacting a lot with the federal government, obviously, to put some of these programs into place and, and have this um, public-facing platform. So can you tell us about, um, I'd say, regulatory successes and, and challenges um, that Kittyock has faced along the way? Um, and if you want to touch on to any state interactions as well, I think that would be interesting to the listeners. A good place to start on, on this in terms of uh, regulatory successes and challenges would probably be to start with Part 107. For those of you that don't know, Part 107 um, is the portion of the federal aviation regulations that govern uh, commercial operation of drones. And the reason I say that this is both a success and a challenge is that the Part 107 rules are now 
over three years old. Uh, they came out in early September 2016. And three years later, we're seeing both a lot of success from Part 107 and also some, some challenges and limitations from that. For example, it's still very difficult to do advanced operations at scale under Part 107. And those that I'm referring to are things like operations over people, operations beyond visual line of sight, operations at night. Those type of operations are still really limited under Part 107 and really only available with a waiver from the FAA. And night waivers are, are easy enough to get. Kitty Hawk has one. But beyond that one, a lot of these waivers to operate outside of Part 107 are are quite challenging. And um, I think the the other regulatory challenge that, that we're facing right now, um, and part of the reason for the delay in this, is we're waiting on more regulatory guidance from the FAA on remote ID, which is a key component of the ability to do all sorts of these advanced operations. You can think of remote ID as, as analogous to a digital license plate for drones. And, you know, I think those are both challenges that we're facing, but as I'll speak to in, in a couple minutes, um, that's not necessarily stopping the industry from moving forward. Right. That makes sense. One of the um, advancements that you got to think is coming at some point around the corner is an increased focus on multiple simultaneous uses as well. And, and 107 is not, you know, that's not in that wheelhouse yet, but, you know, more, more changes are possible in the and the remote ID is a big part of that. Have you found any other disconnects between maybe what industry kind of wants from these these rules and priorities and where the regulatory bodies are? Is there any, any other topic that kind of comes to mind in terms of a disconnect? I think that's a great question. So in terms of a, a disconnect between industry priorities and regulatory priorities. I think at this moment in time, it's important to note kind of where we are in, in the process of integration of UAS into the national airspace. In a lot of ways, we're firmly in the middle of that process. You know, we've moved from a world of 333 exemptions, registration. Um, so there's been some some progress for sure, but we're not quite at the point where we're able to do some of these more exciting um, high-value type of operations that, that are certainly industry priorities for folks to do more with their drones. I think that in a lot of ways right now, uh, the technology is and industry is leading while regulatory is lagging. Um, this can definitely be frustrating, especially for folks like us that are building tools for enterprise drone programs and, and are really keenly aware of what companies want to do with their drones, but I'm certainly encouraged by the opportunity to move ahead with technology solutions in advance of further regulations because companies want to leverage new technology because at the end of the day, it'll, it'll allow them to do their operations better and safer. And you've had a lot of success in finding partnerships with um, regulatory bodies like the FAA. Do you have any advice for other companies or users in terms of how they should um, uh, interface with um, an agency like the FAA? There's a real opportunity for communication and education, both in terms of drone operators seeking out uh, experts or seeking out the FAA to talk about the things that they want to do and, and the challenges that they see from the regulatory side of things. And I know I'm certainly not going to speak for the FAA, but I do know that 
that something that they're really trying to do is educate and communicate with the public so that they understand the limitations of, of what they're not supposed to do, but also the positive aspects of what they can do with their drones. You know, I think chances are, if it affects you and your operation, it probably has or does affect others. Um, and to that end, speaking with the FAA, industry peers, industry experts, other knowledgeable parties, and just talking to them about what you're trying to do or what obstacle you're trying to overcome can really go a long way. So I'm saying that one of the best ways to go about this is to seek out the FAA and seek out regulators because in a lot of circumstances, they're really willing to uh, speak to the public and learn from them. And I think the other advice I would give to companies dealing with regulatory challenges are just seek out the right community, whether you're doing something that is very industry specific or a little bit more general. There's a lot of different online communities uh, where people are really eager to educate and assist and push the industry forward. Uh, so those, I think, are all ways that someone facing some you know, regulatory challenges or, or even questions, that's a really good place for them to start and a good mindset to have. Hey, Andrew, this is Sean again. Um, really great discussion between you and Tyler, uh, especially, you know, talking about the uh, flights over people beyond line of sight, multiple drones in one space, and especially you're, you know, y using the FAA or dealing with the FAA and industry to to um, move move regulations along and interacting with them. And I think that that's a great segue into the next point we wanted to braise up with you was, um, you know, your recent article on your uh, website, uh, I think it was posted yesterday, about um, the remote ID demonstration that you recently took uh, place in California with a, a bunch of other industry, um, you know, m industry members. And uh, just wanted to get briefly from you, what, what was that experience like? What, well, I guess first tell our listeners, what is remote ID? And what was that experience like? And what was your participation in it? And the others, and was FAA involved? And and you know what what did they think of the demonstration? Sure. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll definitely <laughs> uh, go in order. Uh, no, no, it's um it's certainly a complicated issue in in a lot of respects. So first off, um for those of you that that aren't aware, there's a concept in the drone world um, called remote ID. The really easy way to analogize this is you can think of remote ID as attempting to put license plates on drones. Obviously, you're not going to put an actual license plate on a drone, but remote ID is the concept that uh, drones operating in the national airspace uh, should be able to be remotely identified by interested parties on the ground, and drone operators are able using remote ID to identify themselves to those interested parties on the ground. We wrote a white paper on remote ID this past spring, which you can access from our website to take a little bit of a deeper dive into remote ID. But as a concept, that's really what it is, a way to identify drones operating in the national airspace as a measure of transparency and, um, and accountability. And to that end, the exciting news that, that we announced yesterday is that Kitty Hawk participated in a second demonstration of what is called the Inner USS Project. This is the second time Kitty Hawk has done this. We actually participated in um, a first demonstration of this back in December with a couple of our industry peers. A USS is a UAS service supplier. So that is someone that 
is certified by the FAA to provide a service to uh, the drone community, um, usually utilizing authoritative FAA uh, data. Um, one of the easiest um, ways to describe that is um, anyone who's a Lance provider is a UAS service supplier. The InterUSS project is a way to identify drones operating in the national airspace, but operating on a variety of different platforms. So for instance, the InterUSS demonstration that we participated in last week had seven or eight different USS and a bunch of different companies flying a variety of different aircraft at the same time, uh, utilizing Lance to operate in controlled airspace. So in short, we had a part in demonstrating private industry collaboration of an important technology, remote ID, ready to be utilized by important industry stakeholders in advance of actual regulation on remote ID, uh, which that rulemaking process has been delayed throughout the year. But we're showing that remote ID is possible, um, it's feasible, and um, in a lot of ways, it's ready to go right now. I think the only other thing to mention is that um, why this is so important is that not only does it show that remote ID is technologically possible right now, but we were able to, for example, CNN, a Kitty Hawk customer, they were able to, as a media company, essentially announce their presence to interested bystanders on the ground. And why that's important is when you think about public safety official arriving at a scene, whether that's a crime, whether that's a parade, whatever the case is, they want to know who is operating that drone flying above them and whether that is a threat or whether that is uh, someone friendly who is allowed to be there. And so as you might imagine, that's extremely important for for media companies um, because they are usually the first folks on the scene and they do want to proactively share information uh, with folks on the ground so that they're able to do their job and announce that they're one of the good guys. Excellent. <clears throat> Thank you very much for that. I was curious about where do you see the drone industry going, and in in particular with remote ID. As you said, we've had several delays with the NPRM. The, the most recent information, I think, is that we're looking at December, late December for the NPRM on remote ID. Do you think this demonstration helped keep that on track, or do you think we're looking at NPRM you know, down the road a piece still? <laughs> no, I, I think in a lot of ways, this is a positive development no matter how you slice it. I think, as I said before, it's just an important development that industry-led solutions exist. Um, this isn't something theoretical that we're waiting for an NPRM to you know, press go and then start to figure it out. In a lot of ways, this is technology leading and private industry leading on that front. And to that end, I think um, it does support the rulemaking process because you know, we can show that these type of solutions are feasible and implementable without significant delay. So in a lot of ways, I think that this does push the conversation forward and does make it more likely that there won't be further delays on the remote ID front. This isn't an, an industry versus um, regulators. Um, this is industry kind of pushing regulators forward and the other interesting thing to note is that, you know, there's been a lot of discussion that remote ID as the FAA envisions it will 
reference or lean on uh, standards developed by ASTM, uh, which is an influential standards group. And the inter-USS demonstration, for example, was based on the ASTM standards. So in a lot of ways, we're starting to go to where we think the NPRM is going to take us. Great. No, I agree. Um, one last question, if I can. Uh, you guys are obviously on the cutting edge uh, technology and everything. Um, where, where do you think we're going in the next five years? What, what are we going to be talking about five years from now if we have another podcast on, on this topic on drones? Sure. You know, I think a couple of things to note. One is just five years in the drone world is an awfully long time. Five years ago, we were still two years away from part 107, and hardware was taking pretty dramatic leaps forward to enable some of the operations that we see today. So five years is, is a really long time in this industry. But you know, my two cents on this are five years from now, you're going to be seeing drones do a lot more of everything in your everyday life. For example, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be in five years, we're going to see pretty widespread drone delivery. We're going to see a lot more drones uh, used in public safety situations. And I think especially enterprise adoption of drones is going to be significantly higher. Right now, in a lot of ways, enterprise drone programs and the drone community, we're just scratching the surface of what we can do and the value that we're able to get out of a drone program. So I think five years from now, a lot of companies and individuals are going to wonder how they ever did some of their work uh, without drones, because we really see those being increasingly integrated to assist in, in work that we consider dull, dirty, and dangerous. I think those are where you're going to see drones showcasing their value. And so in five years, I, I think we're going to see drones at least being a tool to help in, in a lot of those type of jobs. Now, those are all great points, and uh, I, I think uh, Mike Tyler and I appreciate it and certainly uh, are right there with you thinking that we're, we're going to see this explode over the next several years. Andrew, again, thank you on behalf of Thompson Coburn. Thanks, thanks uh, very much for being on the podcast. Uh, we really enjoyed the discussion. We appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts on the ever-changing drone world that we know, and we hope you'll come back and visit us again soon. Where, where can people find out more about uh, Kitty Hawk and Before You Fly, Lance, and, and the applications that you provide? Sure. So, you know, again, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been great to talk to you guys about drones and regulation and uh, some of the exciting things that we're doing at Kitty Hawk. To that end, um, if you want to find out more about what we're up to at Kitty Hawk, I'd encourage listeners to follow the Kitty Hawk blog on our website at kittyhawk.io. It features posts by me, by Kitty Hawk senior leadership on topics relevant to the drone industry. You can also follow Kitty Hawk on Twitter, and also you can follow me individually on Twitter. I'm at UAV policy, all one word, where I'm pretty frequently posting or retweeting relevant industry news. So I think those are all really good ways to to be aware of, of what we're doing. And, you know, we really try to keep others informed of, of what we're doing. Excellent. At UAV Thanks. policy, you must have uh, gotten in on that handle pretty quickly. <laughs> I did. It's something I've had for, uh, for a while. And it's just a great tool to share things with the community. Uh, Sean, again, any, any other questions or comments, Tyler or Mike? I don't think so. Thanks for coming yeah. on, Andrew. Yes. Yeah. Thanks again. Really great discussion. 
And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us through our Thompson Coburn LLP website or by direct messaging the TC Drone Twitter page, which is at TC Drone Law. Thanks again, everybody. Appreciate it. Bye.